Hi, I'm Alex, and this is the Fanatic Fulcrum. As of right now, this is the State Hornets' newest podcast, and I want it to be a safe place where people from all walks of life can come on and talk about the things they know and love. Essentially, fans. My guest today is Nicholas Laskowicz, a mechanical engineer. In college, Nicholas majored in mechanical engineering and minored in film. This led him to editing, co-producing, and directing a documentary called Legacy of Arrow, available on both YouTube and LegacyofArrow.com. I can put the links down in the description below. After he heard that Disney Plus would be making its own series on the construction and evolution of the rides, Nicholas sent those Disney producers his documentary and pitched that Aero Development should be a part of the show's narrative. Aero Development, of course, being the company that helped make the rides for Disneyland when the park first opened. Disney agreed, and now Nicholas can be seen in four out of ten episodes of Behind the Attraction currently streaming on Disney+. So, let's get into it. Hello, Nicholas. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Alex. I'm uh, very passionate about theme parks, roller coasters, so I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to talk about it <laughs> with anybody, really. Is there a little asterisk there, maybe, like, on the Disney side? Um, can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, there's probably a little bit of a, a little um, more of a love for Disney there. Yeah, so I, I had the opportunity to intern with Walt Disney Imagineering for about six months. And so uh, I'm a mechanical engineer is my background, and so I got to intern in their ride mechanical engineering uh, department, which was basically was a dream come true. I've I've wanted to work in in the theme park industry since I was a kid, and so having the opportunity to work at a such an iconic place as Imagineering was like <laughs> I could, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and then you got a little brush with Disney yet again when you got to appear on the Disney Plus show Behind the Attraction, correct? Yeah. So outside of my mechanical engineering degree, I produce documentaries and films all about the theme park industry. So basically, my entire life is all about theme parks. So um. I've, I've been producing documentaries about the industry for, let's see, about eight years, almost 10 years now. And I produced a documentary with a great group of people called The Legacy of Aero Development. And uh, Aero Development is a very famous um, theme park ride manufacturer. They're no longer around. And um, essentially, this documentary has a big connection to Disney. And we pitched the film to the production company that made behind the attraction. Back in the end of, I think, fall of 2019, they announced the show was in production. And we thought... Arrow should be part of the story that Behind the Attraction tells. And so we sent them a copy of our film expecting never to hear back, basically. And lo and behold, not only did we hear back, but they watched the film and were like, this story is really important and we want to include it. And so we had discussions for a few months. And then February 2020, one of the last things I did before everything went crazy, basically, was <laughs> I was... Uh, I was interviewed in a very small little studio in Burbank down in Los Angeles in front of a green screen and uh, talked for them for about three hours. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that translated to three episodes? Four, in fact. Nice. Actually. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I talked for about an hour and a half about this one company, Arrow. But then they also found out I was a big theme park fan in general. And they're like, oh, could you riff on Space Mountain? Could you riff on Twilight Zone, Tower of Terror? And I'm like, nice. yeah, <laughs> of course I can. <laughs> and so that was that was the greatest part about that interview actually was just being able to just be myself and be passionate about the rides. And then I ended up in four of the 10 episodes and I found out when they aired, you know, I watched them and it's like, oh, 
I guess I am on the show. Yeah. So it was a, it's a really surreal, humbling experience for sure. Was it all, did you like walk past Bob Chapek or anything like that? No, I didn't get <laughs> to see anybody famous. Dwayne Johnson was one of the producers of Behind the Attraction. I didn't get to meet him uh-huh. or anybody like that. Um, there was a really great production crew that interviewed me um, that was really fantastic. And then I also got to contribute a lot of archive material, historical footage um, that's also used in a bunch of the episodes too. No way. So Is it on Legacy of Arrow? Yeah. So in fact, some of the content we used in Legacy of Arrow, I contributed for the Behind the Attraction nice. uh, series. And so it's cool to see some of that up there too. Who's the coolest person you were able to talk to for your documentaries, maybe uh, maybe in your brush with Disneyland? Yeah, so there's there's I've produced almost, not quite a, 10 documentaries now, but you can imagine there's been quite a wide range of people that I've had the opportunity to meet. Um, and a lot of them were from the Arrow project specifically. I would say probably Bob Gurr which is one of the most iconic Disney legends that um, a lot of people have met because he's just, he's a very, uh, he has great PR people. <laughs> he's hes doing stuff all the time on social media and he's doing meet and greets and he just had his 90th birthday luau in Los Angeles that you could have actually like paid to go to and everything like that. But he's iconic in Disney history because he basically designed all of the ride vehicles at Disneyland from opening day till like 1970. Like he designed the monorail and he designed the cars for the Autopia. And so he was a car guy before Disneyland. And so, having the chance to meet a legend like that and get to interview him for you know like two hours or something for our Arrow film because he worked directly with the Arrow people. He's the last living Imagineer that Walt Disney hired himself. So there's a, a lot of history with that man. And just he's super humble and super... He, he, loves, <laughs> he loves to talk about what he does in the industry and what he did. Um, he's retired somewhat, though he's still doing stuff amazingly at 90 years old. But wow. I would say Bob Gurr is probably the coolest uh guy that i've met and i've met him a couple times since then as well uh so yeah he's he's quite the cool guy for projects or just for like dinner uh i've met him uh so disney does a big expo every few years called d23 okay and he was there just walking around so i said hey remember me when we interviewed you and then he uh he's doing that kind of stuff in los angeles all the time he does a bus tour where you can go on a tour through la with him and he's pointing out like this is where walt disney lived and there are all these things and so he's he's actually amazingly accessible even at wow. his age so yeah so you've talked to somebody who's spoken to walt disney that is correct there's one degree removed that's you've it basically talked to him that's it yeah Dang, that's yeah. that's awesome that's yeah. i'm sorry that's <laughs> yeah you are listed on the show as a historian, is that? <laughs> but you say you consider yourself a, a aficionado and an engineer. How does how did that come about? Yeah, so uh, I uh, was very curious to see what they were going to title me as on Behind the Attraction because I didn't. Um, of course, when they interviewed me, I introduced myself as a documentary filmmaker and uh, volunteering for the American Coaster Enthusiasts, which I can get into in a little bit. And so I was uh, quite surprised to see historian. And here I am paired with like all these famous actual Disney legends and all these famous people. I'm like, this is very weird. Like, did they make a mistake to interview somebody like me? But uh, yeah, I I do consider myself a historian too, because outside of mechanical engineering and filmmaking, I do have a real knack for the history of the industry especially going back into like world's fairs and the whole sort of why do roller coasters exist? Like that's kind of a weird thing when you think about what a roller coaster is, like why? Yeah. So historian does really work for me too. Cause I really am passionate about the history of the industry. Sweet. So since you are passionate about Disneyland, what's your favorite ride at Disneyland? So this is a really tough question because you could ask me in about five minutes and I'd give you a different answer. Okay. You could also ask me if it's my favorite ride at night or my favorite ride at day because 
Disneyland has some really good rides at night that okay. are much better at that time of day. But if I were to just answer that question straight up with you, I would say Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, which is the brand new, uh, I guess it's a little bit older now, but it opened a year and a half ago, yeah. trackless dark ride. It's the second major attraction in the Galaxy's Edge land at Disneyland in California. It's also in Florida. But it is just a, it's a cinematic masterpiece. It is like the best combination of, of creativity and technology fused together with just amazing storytelling that really just it brings you in and it, you feel part of the experience. Like the line for the ride is so immersive that before I even got on the ride vehicle, I had already determined that I was satisfied with the experience and I could have just exited and not ridden anything. It is a very visceral thing that you just have to see to believe it's it's fantastic. In case anybody doesn't know, you said it was a trackless dark ride? Trackless? Exactly, yeah. So a trackless dark ride is sort of a uh, fairly newer technology that you see more widely. Actually, trackless technology goes back to the original Twilight Zone Tower of Terror in Florida. Um, that opened in 1994, and that actually uses a wire guide trackless system. So there's a little wire that is sort of um, is following that um, magnetically through the floor, essentially, to, to guide the vehicle. Uh, Disney developed a trackless ride vehicle for Rise of the Resistance. And so when you're on the vehicle, there's no rail, there's no barriers, there's nothing like that. And so the vehicle does feel like it's free roaming. And it really gives the vehicle a sense of character, if you will. It kind of gives a life all its own. And it really makes a an unexpected ride experience because, sure, you have this big room to move around in, but you're like, are we going to go over there? Are we going to go to the left? Are we going to go back? Are we going to go up? And so it really... Uh, makes the experience rewritable in my opinion and so we're going to start to see a lot more of that i think sweet now did you win your internship at walt disney imagineering get to work on rise of the resistance at all i did okay yes i uh, i got to work on two attractions there both of them uh, utilized the same trackless technology so i worked on a ride called mickey and minnie's runaway railway it's open in florida right now and it's coming to california and it opens in a couple of years out okay. here and then uh, i worked on star wars rise of the resistance and nice. um basically those were my first two rides as a professional working in this industry as a mechanical engineer so not only was my first job in the industry at walt disney imagineering but then i got to work on one of the most iconic rides ever built in the history of theme parks at this point in time uh, it was a pinch myself kind of experience. And so um, I, uh, I got to tour the ride when it was under construction and see Galaxy's Edge when it was just, you know, it was boots on the ground and dirt everywhere. And, uh, you know, that was a day I'll never forget. But yeah, it was it was really quite humbling to be able to work on an attraction like that. And then seeing what it became, you know, I, I went and wrote it on opening day and I got to shake hands with some of the Imagineers that worked on it a lot longer than I had and really just tell them how much I appreciated everything they'd done. So, yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool to be able to work on that, to, to say the least. Nice. Now, your documentary Legacy of Arrow says that Pirates of the Caribbean was Walt Disney's magnum opus. Did you narrate Legacy of Arrow? Is that, did you write that in for somebody else to say? Do you believe that yourself? So, so um, basically, Legacy of Arrow was produced by me and two others. There, okay. were, there was kind of a core group of three of us. It was myself, uh, Robert Engel, and Chris Roberry. And Chris Roberry, he is the narrator of the film, and he also wrote the script for the most part for the film. The three of us have actually been producing documentaries together for eight years. And so we had actually done a lot of projects together a little bit on a smaller scale. We did a series called The Lost Parks of Northern California, where we were chronicling amusement parks in our region that are we're no longer here. And then we expanded into Legacy Vera and it became this this huge deal. But as far as 
Pirates of the Caribbean being Walt Disney's magnum opus, um, that was something that Chris wrote into the script. And I really do believe that that was sort of the, the crowning achievement for Walt at the time. Unfortunately, Walt had passed away three months before Pirates of the Caribbean had opened, which opened in March of 1967. And so you think about the evolution of Disneyland up until that point. You look at just the evolution of ride systems, starting with like simple dark rides in Fantasyland. And then now we're doing a boat ride with drops in a huge building. But not only that, you have dozens and dozens, probably well over 100 audio animatronics figures which had only been developed a few years before for the Enchanted Tiki Room, which was the bird show where that was kind of the first showcase of audio animatronics. And so for this to be sort of a combination of everything that Disney had learned up at that point, I really do think it was it was the pinnacle and crowning achievement of the Walt Disney Company and of Walt Disney himself at that time. And then you look at what we have now, and it's amazing to see how far the industry has come. Yeah. That's very cool that you can have a favorite ride, but also think that Walt Disney's crowning achievement is something else. Yeah, and it's good to be, it's really important, I think, to be grounded in sort of the history of the industry. That's why I am really passionate about about being a historian, as well as being a mechanical engineer and a designer for the industry, is it's great to recognize, like, what worked in the past, what didn't work in the past, but also seeing, like, why we are where we are today, and kind of just being grounded in that reality and remembering why we do what we do. And it's, uh, I think it's important to look at all of those things together. We got Rise of the Resistance based off of Star Wars. We got Pirates of the Caribbean, not based off of a movie at the time, correct? No. Okay. In fact, it's very interesting how that ride developed a film series versus the other way around. Yeah. How might the theming of an amusement park ride factor into how it's built and what it does? So that's a really good question because um, when it comes to developing an attraction that involves storytelling or involves an IP, an intellectual property, such as a major brand like Mickey Mouse or Mario, like Universal is developing, any of these big brands, when you're developing an attraction, the creative side of that is really what is often driving how you're going to design it. So as a mechanical engineer, I have been able to work with Universal and Disney and lots of other creative-based companies where you get this piece of concept art from somebody who doesn't necessarily have a technical background. And then as an engineer, I have to figure out, well, how do I take this pretty thing and like actually make it feasible to build in the real world, but still meet the creative look, you know, exactly. You know, there always has to be this creative look. So there's always this battle between creative and non-creative and making sure that they get what they want, but we also have to get what we want because it has to work. And so creative in my industry is really what drives everything first. And that's what makes it fun for me as a mechanical engineer, where typically in other industries, you're not designing things to look pretty or you're designing things to just more, mostly work, a little more industrial. And so it's a really great challenge to be able to take these really big brands and then try to design something creatively in a way that still meets that intent. And so that's a, that's a real challenge but it's what makes this industry super fun to me you said mario rides are going to start opening at universal that's right yeah so universal creative which is the equivalent of walt disney imagineering is this it's their version of the creative theme park okay vision yes. basically of universal and so universal actually opened super nintendo world in japan already they opened it this year about six years ago they announced a partnership where they were going to develop Nintendo Lance. Universal Studios Hollywood just announced that they're going to be opening one in a few years, and they're going to be building one in Florida from what I've heard as well. So that's a real big brand that's been beloved by many, many people, me especially. And so it's something very, 
very exciting for I, w- I would love to go to Japan like tomorrow and just go there because I've seen I've been following the construction of it for a long time and it's uh, it's amazing. So it's not it is open in Tokyo. Okay. It is. It is. You just weren't able to make it out there just yet. Yep. Not okay. yet. Not yet. Things have been you, crazy, but yeah. Do you travel a lot to ride rides? I have done a lot of stuff in the U.S., definitely. I went on a theme park trip earlier this summer across the Midwest where we went um, to 10 parks in about a week. So we flew into Kansas City, Missouri, me and a group of a bunch of other friends, and we drove across the U.S., hitting parks one a day, and then we uh, ended up... Well, it had to have been multiple. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, I guess it was eight parks. Maybe it wasn't quite 10. It was was a blur, let me tell you, because it was a lot of driving. Um, yeah, so we ended up in Chicago, and so I've did a, I've done a big Midwest trip. I've done, uh, of course, California because I grew up in California. I've done a lot out here, and I've done a lot in Florida. I've done trips over to Pennsylvania and Ohio out there. In fact, producing Legacy of Arrow was really great because that involved going to a lot of parks that I had never been to before to film, and so that was a fantastic opportunity. So I, I haven't done anything really outside the U.S. in terms of theme parks at all and so there's so many on my bucket list <laughs> so, when things start calming down i just can't wait to travel so i i'm looking forward to a lot of parks i have a question about dollywood later have you been there i have been to dollywood okay. yes it's uh i love that place yeah so since you've been a lot of places uh, specifically the u.s what has been your favorite ride outside of maybe the disney boundaries oh boy so I would probably have two ones I want to point out specifically. Okay. One is my favorite roller coaster in general. It's actually something that's not immersive necessarily. It's not storytelling based or anything like that. It's almost 100 years old, in fact. The Giant Dipper at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. It opened in 1924, and oh. I grew up going to that park. And so there's a lot of nostalgia for me for that wooden roller coaster. And I know a lot of the family that owns that park. It's a family-owned amusement park, one of the very few that is still family-owned and not a big corporate entity. And so they take a lot of pride in that park and in that roller coaster, and it feels like it's brand new. They, they, it doesn't feel like it's 100 years old at all. And it's just great fun going on these big drops and swooping turns with the ocean there and the breeze coming in and the salt air. It's just this... It actually is a visceral experience. It's not immersive, but the whole seaside... Part of that is very classic amusement park feel because amusement parks really started out of Coney Island in New York, and that's a, that was a beachside sort of thing. And so that's my favorite roller coaster. But another one I do want to point out is called Time Traveler, and it's at a park called Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. It's a sister park to Dollywood. Actually, the same company that runs Dollywood runs this place, and it's a spinning roller coaster, so the cars rotate, but it's a controlled spin. So... On most spinning coasters, the weight of the riders is what is sort of causing the vehicles to spin. Mm -hmm. So these are not necessarily programmed, but they're controlled by magnets. So it's sort of a, a symphony of thrills, if you will, because it's a very controlled experience. And it's really orchestrated really well. I, I, I like to use all these music analogies to describe rides because it really is their art to me. And so the ride is really great because typically other spinning coasters, you're spinning kind of wildly depending on the weight of the riders you're with. And so the fact that this is sort of a more graceful sort of motion and it has it has loops and big drops and everything, but the way that it all ties together in as well as with the theming of the ride, which is time traveling, it's a really great experience. It was uh, part of my trip this summer to the Midwest and everybody on the trip, that was their favorite roller coaster of the whole trip. So it was, it's a really great place. It's Is it one of those things where the creative and the engineer um, coalesce into something Beautiful. I would say so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Certainly at a lesser scale than Disney or uh, Universal, but um, the company that runs that park 
Hershend Family Entertainment. They take a lot of pride in their theming. And so I would totally say that they did a lot of effort to fuse some creativity with the engineering there, for sure. Um, for like someone like me who's never been to Dollywood, how does Dollywood take after Dolly Parton and its theming? Or does it does it not? It's got a beautiful setting. Okay. You know, set up in the Smoky Mountains, and it's got a, some really great themed areas, and it has a lot of craftspeople, if you will. So there's lots of different sort of shops and places where you can watch like a blacksmith or you can watch people carving things out of wood. But there's also major thrill rides there. They have a launched roller coaster. They have a huge wooden roller coaster. They got stuff for the kids. They got really great theming. Entertainment there. Entertainment and food is probably what Dollywood is most known for. Okay. They have these fantastic Broadway-style stage shows and musical acts. That starts to sound like Dolly Parton. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And is so, it open from 9 to 5 by any chance? Uh, <laughs> even more than that, actually. Oh, but, okay. but 9 to 5 is a good time to be there. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So... Disneyland, in terms of roller coasters, probably doesn't have like the best roller coasters because even though they have the most and best immersive rides, probably one of the greatest experiences you'll ever feel is on Rise of the Resistance. But why might that be? Yeah, so um, it really depends what you're looking for in terms of as a, as a theme park enthusiast, kind of what you're looking for. Disney has always been about targeting families with kids. And so they're typically going to build roller coasters that are around 35 to 40 miles an hour, where their emphasis is not on making you scream and making you throw up, but it's making you feel immersed in an experience at a speed that you can. One of the most difficult things in this industry is designing a storytelling roller coaster, because typically roller coasters move very quickly, and it is difficult to tell a story and have someone be focused on the story and not on the thrills of a ride. And so Disney does a great job of balancing that act of how much of a roller coaster is this versus how much story are we trying to develop. And they've dabbled with trying faster rides with storytelling and it doesn't pan out as well. You know, it's, it's difficult to go at 60 miles an hour and like hear dialogue being yelled <laughs> at your ear about some yeah. story that's going on. You know, it's a difficult thing. Universal on the other side has the thrill market kind of in their eyes. They're, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like Six Flags per se, not in terms of quality, but in terms of the market. Six Flags is all about big roller coasters and big thrills. And Universal is, is far closer to Six Flags in terms of that than Disney is for sure. You know, Universal has been building a lot of high thrill roller coasters over the past few years. They built uh, Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure in Florida, which is a launched roller coaster where you're on um, you know, a bike or a sidecar. And then they just opened the Velocicoaster as part of their Jurassic World redo. And there's really intense inversions and really high launches and hills. And that's just kind of the market that, that attracts. But it's great that Disney and Universal are very opposite in that sort of way because as an enthusiast, I actually like both those things. I really love the storytelling stuff, but I'm also a roller coaster nut. Like that that's what started <laughs> me as a kid. I was I was six years old and I played Roller Coaster Tycoon. And that game is what sparked my passion. And okay. that's where I got where I am today, basically, because of that. Basically I was obsessed with coasters. I started going to parks around that time. I was old enough to ride coasters, but basically as a kid I decided I wanted to design roller coasters. That was kind of like whatever it's going to be. So anytime I had a school project, anytime I really did anything in yeah. my spare time, it was always based on roller coasters. So I've been hooked for most of my life. Yeah. Nice. How fast does the Incredicoaster go? Incredicoaster goes 55 miles an hour okay. uh, on a straight launch right along the uh, 
used to be Paradise Pier. Now it's called Pixar Pier. But yeah, it has a great launch, and that's a really great night ride because uh, they have some really fun lighting effects that they integrated with the retheme. So that's an example of a roller coaster that is high speed, and they tried to tell a story, and I'll leave it up to our listeners to determine if they think it was a good fit or not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's one of those examples where you have to find that balance of how do we tell a story because it's not easy when you're moving very quickly. Yeah. Uh, is that the fastest ride at Disneyland? That is, yes. In terms of uh, in California, yes. That would be the fastest Disney ride. And in general, I don't think there's anything faster other than Tron in Shanghai. So glad we got to talk about that. Yes. I want to ride that so bad. And we're getting that in Florida. So that's what's really exciting about <laughs> that. That's a lot that. closer than Shanghai. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, that's a, it's a really... I haven't seen it in person, but you know, I'm sure you've seen the footage of the... Of it at night with all the lighting effects and everything, and just uh, yeah, I really want to ride that too. Yeah, um, yeah, and that like to find out that it was being built in Florida. I mean, I watched it behind the attraction, which I mean, everyone should go check out. But I didn't know that some rides are better during the day and better at night. But I'm very glad that like you mentioned that Incredicoaster is better at night. What might be like? Do you think Pirates is better? At night? I mean, we could do this for every ride, but like top three. What are the best rides during the day? Yeah, during the day. Ooh, Ooh. yeah. Oh, sorry. Throw a wrench in there. Uh, uh, <laughs> ooh. Like Jungle Cruise. Yes. Oh, man. What rides are better during the day? That's a tougher question. Dang. Is uh, there any? That's what I'm trying to think. <laughs> okay, um, about- I think I think I could answer with one at least. I, okay. The, the train is definitely something that's a little bit better, the one that circles the park. The okay. train is the Disneyland Railroad. Let's call it by its name. The Disneyland Railroad is, I think, a better experience during the day just because you can see everything a lot better. Disneyland as a park is pretty dark at night. And so I would say that one is probably better during the day, but okay. most everything else I would say is better. The monorail, monorail, it might be better during the day too, actually. Just because I'm trying to think of what it does, and is it supposed to be a tour around the park? Uh, it's it's sort of when it was built, it was more of a showcase of of what that technology could do. So it does okay. a lot of circling over Tomorrowland and. It goes out over California Adventure a little bit. Okay. So, but as far as nighttime rides, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad is fantastic at night, um, especially if the fireworks are going off. I've ridden that many times when the fireworks are going off. Uh, Matterhorn Bobsleds is another fantastic ride at night. The Mark Twain, which is the big riverboat on the rivers of America, when they aren't running their Phantasmic show, which they haven't been for a while now, that's running at night too. And that's actually really fun to be on the huge boat. Yeah, on the yeah. river uh, at night when they have all the twinkling lights are on the shore and everything. So to me, Disneyland's always uh, way more, I guess you could say, romantic and just special at night. And so uh, I think more times than not, I've been there at night just because it's that much cooler, I think. Um, the Matterhorn has always been closed quite often when there's that. Uh, is there a reason for that? Yeah, so going back to Arrow, Arrow development, uh, like I had mentioned, developed tubular steel track. The first roller coaster to do that was the Matterhorn bobsleds. Really? And so, yeah. Wow, so, okay. So, Arrow is very historically important for a lot of those reasons, but most importantly, it's because of the Matterhorn being the world's first tubular steel roller coaster. And so, it's been around for over 60 years. And it was designed in a time when computers didn't exist and you were drawing by hand. And so, it's just going to be a naturally rough ride, which does fit in with the theme of the ride if you will yeah i wouldn't say it's the smoothest experience but you know it's it's just an old ride and at some point you can't just keep replacing it piece by piece and you'll have to start all over again kind of thing Um, it'll be a sad day when that happens just from the historical perspective but yeah i mean if you designed a track poorly 
and you replace it with the exact same track, it's not going to be any better, even if you designed it today, if you will. So it, it's uh, it's an old clunker. <laughs> it's an old clunker. But okay. I love it. I love it. Yeah. What do you think the future of roller coasters is? Uh, is it going to get more intense, or do you feel like amusement parks are going to take the more lax approach like Disneyland does? Yeah, so I, this is a great question because I, I get asked this. Um, I've been asked it before, and it's always a great one for me to think about because it's always like the industry is changing all the time with new technology. And so I think that as far as thrills and speed and like height and G-forces, I think we've sort of hit the limits of a lot of those things already. Okay. You know, the world's tallest roller coaster is King Daka, which is at Six Flags Great Adventure in Jackson, New Jersey. It's a 456-foot-tall roller coaster. Launches at 128 miles an hour down a straightaway and then up 456 feet. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That opened 16 years ago. And there's a roller coaster that is faster than that. So that's the world's tallest. The world's fastest goes 149 miles an hour. Have you been on both? I have been on neither of them, okay. actually. I've been on the the uh, third fastest roller coaster, which is 120 miles an hour. Okay. And that's at Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio. And that ride is Top Thrill Dragster. So Cedar Point is like... Pretty much a mecca for roller coasters. It's kind of the a dream for many enthusiasts to go there because they have some of the best of the best coasters in the world there. But you know, we've we've started to hit the limits of what our bodies can handle in terms of that side of things. You know, we okay. can maybe go 500 feet, or maybe we can go 152 miles an hour. But is that is that really going to add much at this point? Not really. And so, in the past decade, a lot of parks have focused on what I would call more gimmicky world records like most loops or tallest loop or most oh. amount of airtime. And so we're sort of running out of superlatives at this point to, to come up with more different elements. So I think the future, getting to the meat of the question, is I think it's really going to be more about immersion and immersive experiences and more of this fusing of technology and brands and storytelling as a general concept together because i think there's a lot more thirst these days for that sort of experience you look at how virtual reality and augmented reality and those sorts of realms have just exploded over the past you know five six years yeah. and how theme parks are starting to integrate those sorts of technologies and so i think just building a big roller coaster in a parking lot is not going to cut it for a lot of people anymore certainly there is still the thrill seekers that just want a roller coaster and nothing else. But I really think the future is going to be a lot more immersion and storytelling, all these all these buzzwords that anybody in the industry hears all the time when you think of Disney and Universal. But you're starting to see a lot of smaller parks do it. Even the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk has a lot of really great themed rides. And California's Great America in Santa Clara has a lot of great themed rides. And so that's what's really exciting for me is to be able to see all of these other parks doing that kind of stuff. So I don't have to only go to Disney to get that awesome yeah. storytelling experience. I can go almost anywhere. All right. So we used to call this segment Learn a Thing or Two. <laughs> used to. This actually might end up being the first episode, so that'd be funny. <laughs> um, we'll fix that in post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is the, uh, for right now, today, this is the trials and tribulations of knowing trivia with a fan. So, thank you. <laughs> How many Doom Buggies does Haunted Mansion have? Oh, we're going to do some real hard questions. <laughs> There's oh, only man. five, and two of them we've already talked about. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to have to... Oh, man. I have a vague idea. If I'm, you get within I'm, 10, I'll give it to you. I am going to say 68. Ooh, ooh, no, double it. 
Oh, yeah, really? Okay, that's what some blog said. I was gonna say according to blah blah blah. 136. But I don't, actually, it was it was 131. 131. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's according yeah. to Main Street Insider. I don't know if you're okay. familiar with that blog. I, I, I will trust that. Okay. I will trust that. <laughs> that's a it's a long ride, and they're all very tightly spaced. Um, Arrow designed the track system for that ride too. So nice. <laughs> another notable one. Yeah, I like that they're called Doom Buggies as well. Yeah, that is it's very. very and when the ride stops, if somebody's having trouble getting off the ride, there's a spooky voice that's, please remain seated in your doom buggies. Your nice. tour will continue shortly. So it's great how they tie that into even the ride breakdown stuff. It's fun. Okay, number two. Dollywood, a theme park in Tennessee, is jointly owned by Hershen Family Entertainment and country legend Dolly Parton. That is correct. That Google is was right. Definitely right, true. Who is the godmother of which 28-year-old pop artist? Oh, oh, um, Miley Cyrus? Yes. <laughs> okay. okay, good. I threw a wrench good. in there. Yeah, they I, will be more about I rides st- after this. I but. still remember that for some reason. Good. <laughs> okay, good. That's okay. That's a good curveball. I mean, were you, if you were six when Roller Coaster Tycoon came out, you were probably, you might have missed the, the Hannah Montana Oh, no. Train. I saw that entire series. Okay. I okay. was very uh, in the right market for Hannah Montana when that was growing up. So that's probably where I remembered it, because I think Dolly Parton was on that show she at is? one point. So yeah. that's what I pictured. So hey, look, yeah. that, that was useful for something. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> we <laughs> should <laughs> probably forgive Miley Cyrus at this point for all the uh, you know, trouble she's gone through. I know, right? Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was really setting myself yeah, up. Yeah, you were. Okay. Next question. Next question. <laughs> okay, number three. According to BBC News, some conspiracy theorists believe that the 2013 hit film Frozen was created specifically to prevent what rumor from popping up when people Googled the words Disney and Frozen? Oh, well, that is, of course, the great myth of Walt Disney's Frozen Head. Ah, yes. Which, of course, when uh, somehow there was a myth that began when he passed away that they, you know, severed his head and kept it in a freezer. I've made that joke myself many many times i <laughs> uh, can't tell you if i've seen the head or not when i worked there so yeah, just uh, do they make you yeah. sign a contract is there stuff you can't say yeah so okay uh, actually a general rule in the industry is you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement so basically there's uh basically sign my life away that i can't talk about a lot of things that i've worked on in specificity or some things i can't even say that i've worked on either so okay. that's one bummer about the industry is yeah, like yeah. you get to work on all these cool things but i can't tell you about it it's like ah but so yeah. you are able to talk about rise of the resistance yes is there stuff from disney that you can just say that you can't talk about well yeah nice <laughs> that's awesome yes in fact uh, even the company i work now which does uh mechanical design work for all the different theme parks most of our clients we can't even say we work with them so nice. there's a lot of that too. That's so. so I've never been more excited about like something you can't. Have. That's like you like working on a Marvel movie and just yeah. being like, yeah. So I'm in it, but that's about it. Well, I, I can tell you, I haven't worked on a Marvel movie, okay. so I can at least confirm that. Are you in Spider-Man No Way Home? <laughs> no way, no how. Uh, this one's gonna be like, you know what? Just answer it when you have it. You can cut me off. I promise. <laughs> Developed by Chris Sawyer and published by Hasbro Interactive. Do you want to just? Roller coaster tycoon. <laughs> yes. Uh, what simulation video game is released for? Blah 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 blah. Yes. Um, people, uh, is it still around? Is it still popular? Do you play a version of it? Yeah. So uh, Chris Sawyer was part of the development of the first two games. Essentially, the third game came out 17 years ago, and it was the 3D jump for the series. And then Atari has developed a lot of, of different spin-offs of the game in the past decade. Frankly, I think they've sort of demolished the franchise a little bit and sort of taken advantage of the name. 
But um, the heart of the series for me was back in the original games when it was just Chris Sawyer and his little team of people putting it together. And in fact, I'm working on a documentary about the legacy of Roller Coaster Tycoon. And I have actually been in touch with Chris Sawyer and he is going to be part of the project. <laughs> I contacted him thinking I'll never hear back. And he was like, let's do this. And so like, yeah, that's so cool. So as, as since that game is kind of what got me into this industry, now being able to like have the opportunity to do that project is, is pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Number five, this one's a mouthful. According to the fan-made website, DisneylandClub33.com, the official definition for Club 33's name is that it is simply the address of its location on Royal Street. The unofficial definition, according to former Club 33 manager Roger Craig, is what? Oh, my Lord. Oh, man. I would have said the Royal Street one, but uh, I don't think I know the answer to that. That's okay. I'm going to have to pass on that one. We can always cut it and post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when the park was opened, apparently there was a select... Okay, this is just unofficial. Sure, right? so sure, yeah. This is not what the people will tell you. The um, oh, What are they called? The Disney staff? Do they have names? Cast members. Okay. Cast oh, members yeah. is a general term, yeah. It's not as cool as Imagineer. Yeah, well, you know. It's fine. <laughs> when the park was opened, there was a select number of lessees who were the major sponsors of Disneyland. As the years progressed, some sponsors left, others were added it was these 33 disneyland sponsors from which the number 33 was conceived ah, i think i may have heard that somewhere before that's interesting okay, okay. so there might be yeah, some truth there to might that. be some truth to that now okay. yeah. i you know i i'm expecting the answer to this question but have you ever been to club 33 i have not okay. actually my roommate my roommates have gone and i know other people they have, in? yeah they, they they uh i believe i'm trying to remember i believe they knew a friend who was a member and i also have another friend who's father is a friend with somebody who's a member and we were trying to get in actually only a few weeks ago and it, it just didn't work out but that is one of those things that i just want to do <laughs> i just haven't done it it's, it's almost impossible so like how do you become a member do you have to make a lot of money or <laughs> well it definitely helps to have a lot of money i don't even know if they're accepting members anymore because of, i for a while there was some amount of money like i think i'm talking over ten thousand dollars to just join and then I that didn't that. even that didn't even guarantee you getting in because then you had to then annually pay a certain amount of money to stay like active to maybe be pulled to go see it because there's a huge waiting list and everything like that and so and then i think a lot of corporate sponsors of disney and sort of that sort of side of it um, are able to get in but uh i haven't met anybody famous enough to do that yet so (laughs) somebody become friends with them and then so can you get in on someone's invitation I, I believe I believe so. Okay. But I'll let you know when I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know yet. Well, thank you for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun. I uh, It's always great to talk about theme parks and Disney, and uh, the industry is ever-changing, and it went through a rough time for, during the past year. And so it's exciting to see everything rebounding and uh, new projects sprouting up. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.